Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. So today um, we are commemorating a hundred years of Bullhook Massacre um, and we are looking at a hundred years back and it was a massacre of, of Africans um, about over about 160 plus um, people who were in prayer um, in a church in Bulhuk and uh, they were killed by the South African police back then. Um, and we are going to be looking at what exactly took place on that on that fateful day. And uh, there is none other than Professor Diniko Manuleke, who is the person that I thought would be the best to talk about this. He's an African theologist at the University of Pretoria as well. He's on the line, very generously agreed to be with us for the entire hour. Good afternoon, Prof. Uh, welcome to the show. Good afternoon and good afternoon to your listeners. Uh, always a pleasure talking to you. Prof, I, I mean, I'm struggling to hear you. Can you hear me well, Prof? I hear you very well. You don't <laughs> hear me? Okay, we'll we'll try and sort it out on our side because I think it it may oh. be our technical problem. But let let's start, um, Prof, with with what is now uh, the hundredth um, anniversary of the Bullhook massacre, and and let's talk about what exactly happened in the day. I, I want us to maybe talk about the person as well who was a leader of the community that was that was gathered there. Yes. Um. I hope I do. I sound a little better now, uh, Pamelo. Uh, you, you, you don't sound fantastic on my side, but I think we, our technicians are trying to try. Um, are, are going to try and sort it out. I tell you what, Professor Amaluli. I've, let me, out, let me, I've let... walked. I've walked out of the car. I was sitting in the car. Maybe <laughs> I thought maybe it will be better if okay. I'm walking outside. Okay. Yeah. All right. It does actually sound much, much better. Thank you for that. All right. So so it was um, more than 160 people. I don't know if we've got the exact number of people that were massacred about 100 years in Bullhook. Can you take us back to that day? Yes. That day was uh, a Tuesday in 1921. Uh, so 24th of May. So effectively, uh, the 100 days were rounded. I mean, the 100 years were rounded off yesterday. yesterday. Yeah rather than today. Yes. Uh, it is not known the exact number of people who died. The numbers range from 160 plus or 200 plus. It's not known, but even that is actually an indictment because what it means is that uh, the people didn't matter enough to be recorded meticulously and to be identified mm. Uh, properly by the powers that be. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it's part of the atrocity. I mean, part of the atrocity is the disregard for for the dignity of the people, the identity of the people who were killed. And, um, and so, as you said, you know, 100, 160 or more, we don't actually know that number. But over and above that, there were almost even 100 others who were wounded as well. Yes, a hundred others who were wounded and uh, a hundred others, uh, nearly a hundred others who were arrested mm-hmm. and uh, and tried, uh, as it were, you know. So, and, and of course, one of the ironies is that uh, what happened on that day uh, is that they were, of course, worshipping uh, on at Ntabelanga, 
their their worship part of their worship rituals were mistaken for war dances, you know. So as they were dancing, worshiping, uh, the police, the Union police at that time under General Truta, uh, mistook some of the dances for war dances, and uh, then uh, gave the order to shoot. Um, but I think I think it's important to understand the backdrop mm. to Bullhook. Mm. Because the backdrop is as important, if not more important, than the events of the day itself. Because tensions have been rising mm-hmm. between the Israelites, Kijima, their leader, Inokum Kijima, and the police and the farmers mm. in the surrounding area. Because uh, the farmers uh, so um, Kijima and his uh, uh, members of his church as uh, invaders. Uh, who were coming to uh, settle in crown land, so-called crown land, uh, which they had no right uh, to occupy. Of course, if you ask Gijima and uh, members of that community, they would tell you who the invaders were mm. and who the settlers were. Mm. They were not. Uh, they didn't consider themselves to be the invaders or the settlers at all. So land was a very central issue uh, in that conflict. And this is, of course, less than 10 years after the infamous 1913 Land Act mm. became law. Mm. This is just a few years after the ending of the First World War and just a few years after the ending of the influenza epidemic. So it was a very troubled time in more ways than one for the people there and people elsewhere in the country. You speak about troubled times, and, and one looks at the leader, Inok Mkijima, who himself spoke about trouble coming, trouble looming, and that there will be, uh, God is angry with the people of South Africa, things are going to happen with the nations of the world. And, and, and when you look at what happened there, do you think this is what he was predicting? Well, he certainly was grappling with the meaning of all this, um, these events that were happening. And, and I think Harley's Comet also uh, was, was uh, cited during that time. Um, and, and, and he was trying to make sense of it all. But above all, I think what Inokum Gijima was wrestling with was having seen so much dying and so much loss, loss of life, loss of land, loss of hope, loss of identity as, uh, as uh, the Land Act took effect, as the influenza was, uh, was basically, I mean, many, many, the numbers of people who died uh, from influenza are quite staggering mm-hmm. for a population that was that small in the country at that time. Mm-hmm. So all of these things, him and his people had to contend with. What does it mean? And... Uh, his prophecies were an attempt to to help make sense, if you like, of um, of these calamities uh, that were happening. And he predicted that more uh, was still coming because he wasn't able to see uh, how, you know, uh, 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 black people in particular could get out of the, the, the hole in which they were, especially as they were losing land, losing identity, losing uh, their own uh, culture in the process.
Professor Tiniko Maluleke is my guest, and I'm going to open the lines as well. If you perhaps knew people, um, maybe family members in that area at the time who are maybe also a descendants of the Israelites as, as a community of people as well, I'd love to hear from you. 011-714-2006. You can also send in WhatsApp notes on 0614-107. And uh, this stays back to uh, the 24th of May as we commemorate a hundred years of the massacre of the Bullock and uh, it's it's not a good memory but we definitely have to look back and ask ourselves what went wrong. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. Professor Tiniko Maluleke is a political analyst. He's also an African theologist, and he's also based at the University of Pretoria. We are commemorating um, 100 years uh, since the the massacre at Bulwark. And uh, for those who don't know, it's in the Eastern Cape. It's in Komati. Um, others would know that area, Queenstown. Uh, and that's where this happened. This massacre happened about 160 people. And we say about because we don't quite know the, the numbers there. Uh, about a hundred also others who were wounded and, and many others who were also arrested at the time. And uh, they were people led by Enoch Nkijima, who was their leader, spiritual leader as well, who spoke a lot about what may come, about, you know, the destruction of, of humankind, mankind and, and people, because we, we obviously are not doing the right thing. And so we'll go back a little bit to give you his history. But this is the day we're commemorating that massacre. Let me go first to Luanle. Is it what Luanle? Luanle, you're calling from the Eastern Cape? Yeah, from Kaka, yes. Yo, I'm also battling a little bit to hear you. Could you speak up a bit, please? Uh, I can hear you easily. Are you still struggling? Yes, it's much better now. Go ahead, Lonje. Okay, good good day. Thanks for taking my call and good day to the professor as well. I, I, I'm quite interested in uh, closer history. And I, I just, what I, what I, my understanding of this is that closer people, throughout history, every time they had a crisis, there was a prophet for each crisis. You can talk about the raid in Grandstown where we had Makanda, who was uh, supposedly a diviner who could lead people to war. He took about, uh, I'm not sure if it's about uh, 2,800 men who got massacred by 200 people in what is called Fort England today. That's the Makanda, Umayale. Then we had uh, another crisis after the Fifth Frontier War of Umlanji in he of the river. This is a prophet who would go to the river and then who, he would divine and divine and divine. That was after we, because of the gloss, the, the first, the, I think it's the fifth or the sixth French war, because they won the fifth French war. Then, after the loss of about, the, I think it was about the seventh French war, there was another prophet, Unsika Nagakapa. This prophet, Unkijima, Unongaosa is the ultimate prophet. He's the one who actually led to the defeat of the fossils about 150 years of resistance. When, when you hear the English talk about the longest war, they talk about the French Anglo war, which is, which is a lie. If long ago that the English ever fought was in the Eastern Cape. But that war was broken, the, the back of the process was broken by a prophet from the Nelson. So, because people have got this problem of every time they have a problem, they, they have, every time they have a crisis, they have a prophet. Kijima came, if you remember, the Eastern Cape is one of the few places in South Africa that has, a, has got a word for Spanish flu. So it's called Umbatala because of the, the shaking that the people would have. They would shake and shake and then become blue in the face because of uh, low oxygen. So then because of that crisis, which people couldn't explain, 
Then there was a prophet again called Umtichima, who prophesied the end of the world. He actually took those people, he separated them from the population and said they must go and wait for the end of the world on top of a bulwark in Tabazwe, in Tabezwe. So, which was a private land according to uh, according to the government of, uh, of, of uh, who's this guy? The, the, the racist guy who took us to the, to the First World War. Jan so, uh, well, my, my input proper, I'd like to hear what your, what your opinion is, is that uh, black people, whenever there's a crisis, they will be a prophet for it. And these prophets, unfortunately, amongst the first people, have, they, they have never led us into any prosperity that they promised. <laughs> the coming of Nile. Nile is called Nile because he's left-handed. He's the guy who tried to escape from Robben Island. People waited and waited for the coming of Nile after he had led them into to be ambushed in Grahamstown in Fordingham today. So uh, I, I think that people must, actually black people in the world, must move away from looking, from, from looking for prophecies, look into their hands to find solutions. What an, interesting, what an interesting call. Uh, Luandle, thank you so much from the Eastern Cape Prof. So l- let's touch on, on his history, Inokum Kijima, who, and let's also, you know, juxtapose that to what was happening at the time. Missionaries were really active in the Eastern Cape at the time. So we've got to look at that just to the, to the point of the caller to say it, it's, it's no chance that there was a lot of religious activity at the time there because it, missionaries were quite active there. Oh, yeah. No, missionaries were very active uh, in the Eastern Cape, uh, but all over the country, really. It was part of what you could call the missionary era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, the um, protest uh, against missionary control uh, of the churches started already in the 1870s when O Nehemiah Le. Uh, uh, together with the Uchif Gangeni uh, moved out of uh, the mission churches to try and form uh, their own churches. You could add Umzimba also um, turning against his, uh, his, uh, his, his leader and, and teacher um, uh, Stuart of Love Days uh, to, to, to form his own church so it was that era where the missionaries were, of course, very active, but there was also a bit of fatigue, mm. African fatigue with missionary control, with, with being led by missionaries. The so-called Ethiopian churches mm-hmm. uh, were, re- were, were, were rising all over the place, and Gijima is therefore uh, not alone uh, during that era. There is, of course, Shortly after Mkijima, there's the, the story of uh, Nonteta Nkwe from uh, Tulile, uh, Kulile rather, uh, who uh, also was a prophet which uh, was trying to help people deal with uh, Umbatalala, mm-hmm. the, the, the disease that he's mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. And she, she was declared mad by the, the police, I mean, the, the authorities of, of the day sent to mental asylum. Yes. Eventually, took uh, taken to um, uh, Vescopis in Pretoria, mm-hmm. where she died. Actually. But, but and she prof- never managed to go back to the to the Eastern Cape. So, so it is true. But I do want us to contextualize this thing about 
uh, always profits rising. I, I, I think we've got to understand the context out of which profits Right. Pro- Prof, I'm going to I'm going to just maybe we're going to have to take a break. So I don't want you to start the story before then, because uh, there needs to be a recognition, though, as well, just maybe slightly to your point about the fact that when you look at the history of many of these, even including Gijima, who was a Methodist and then moved away, it seemed to me that there was also a yearning to return to self. Because a lot of that comes through with a lot of um, these leaders who had who it included now, starting to, to include African traditions in their, in their religious practices. Yes. Look, I mean, this whole movement, actually, you can go back to the year 1700, mm-hmm. 1701, in what is today Angola. But at that time, there was no difference between Angola and the DRC, yes. at least in that area where it's the border between the two. There was a young woman called Kimpa Vita, who converted to Catholicism, but immediately rejected huge chunks of Catholicism. So, for example, she uh, decided to teach her her followers that Jesus was black, and so were his disciples. And she started a whole movement which uh, actually taught that the kingdom, the, 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 the Congo kingdom, which had been destroyed by colonialists, would be restored. And because of that, she was arrested and, of course, burnt at the stake, uh, you know. So, so, so it's not merely a closer problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't think it's, it's merely an African problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what happens with the prophets is that they become some kind of lightning rod in whose bodies and in whose minds and, and whose souls the, the the accumulation of all the problems that are happening in society at that time, mm-hmm. they come together. The political problems, the cultural problems, the, the problems of public health, mm-hmm. uh, in this case, when we're talking about um, Gijima, mm-hmm. the loss of land, the loss of identity. So you'll find one or two people who become, if you like, the nerve center of all those problems. And that's how you have prophets. So prophets, we, we, we mustn't blame prophets. We must blame the conditions that produce them mm-hmm. and analyze those conditions and, and look for ways in which to, to address the problems that were surfacing mm-hmm. in the lives of the prophets. Professor Tiniko Maluleka is my guest. He's going to be with us until 2. Uh, I need to take a quick break. It's one thirty. Let me go to N. Musa for the latest. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Let's continue our conversation. We are in conversation with Professor Diniko Maluleke, who is a, a researcher and a political analyst. He's also an African theologist uh, specialist in the University of Pretoria. I'm going to take a call first from Eric, who's calling from KZN. Eric, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Eric. Good afternoon to the prof. My question is just a, a question to the prof. Why this um, uh, Bulwuk massacre was so suppressed for so long because looking at the, the number of people who died mm. is quite a, a huge number and yet you, you saw uh, people celebrating small of course I'm not saying a death of, of, of one or two people is nothing yes, yes. but looking at the magnitude of, yes. of, of what happened there mm. and then secondly why was the church so quiet all these years because we didn't hear 
uh, the church saying anything about this? Is it because it was a group of Africans who, who happened to be uh, gathering together that mountain, and uh, we never heard, even if they were arrested uh, or they were, the apartheid government was taken into task uh, in this regard. So I, I, I hope if uh, Prof can share some light around this. Why was this so suppressed? Thanks Thank you that, very Eric. much. Thanks. Prof, your response to that? Yeah, look, there are probably many layers to that response because part, part, partly you could argue that this was way, way, way before the, the days when the mass media in this country uh, was as well developed as we have come to know it. So things happening in, uh, in the rural corner of the country somewhere did not look like national news. It certainly didn't look like national news to the government of the day. They would not be interested in, in uh, making sure that uh, what happens there uh, is known. I don't know if you know Miriam uh, Makeba's song about Soweto. I think the, the lyrics were written by Yuma Sikela, mm-hmm. where she talks about just a little atrocity without any publicity, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it, they, they wanted to keep it like that. Yeah. They wanted to keep it like a little atrocity uh, without any publicity. And of course, we didn't have Facebook, we didn't have uh, tel- cell phones sure. with mobile phones, with cameras. Um, and, and, and for that reason, at that time, it, it didn't become as big news as possible, but it suited the government of the day for it to happen like that. But I also, I also think, um, you know, you could blame our current government a little bit in the sense that, I mean, Inokum Gijima should be celebrated a little more than... Because he was not just a church leader. He was not just a prophet. He was also a black leader who, in his own way, was trying to advance the same agenda that the South African National Native Congress of 1912, when it was formed, uh, was, uh, was advancing because land was a very central issue at that time. So I don't know that we can blame others. Uh, we should also blame ourselves for not, um, you know, identifying, and, and not just about numbers, uh, a bullhook and making a little bit more of it, especially since uh, 1994. Yeah. Now, of course, you could argue that South African history can be told in terms of massacres. So you can go back to 1857, 1858, 1856, mm. Uno Nause. Now, Uno I, I argue that what happened around Nause was a massacre. Mm. It was a massacre because although it may have started with Nause saying, I had some people telling me in the river mm-hmm. that we must slaughter cattle and so on, mm. Sir George Gray actually took advantage of that and used the occasion to finish off, in inverted commas, the remaining Kosa resistance and to annex even more land uh, from from, from the Kosa people at that time. And so the people who died there did not die merely because they didn't have food. They died because... They were allowed to die. They were made to die. It was in the interest of Sir George Gray to see them die. He finished them off. So, you know, so you could say that, you know, our history as a country, we, 
you could tell it in terms of massacres. So 18, in the 1850s, you have got the, the Sir George Grey massacre, I call it. Not the Nungau security killing tragedy, as it is called. Mm-hmm. So you had the Sir George Grey massacre in the 1850s. And then, when you come to 1900, 1904, 1900, then you have the massacre in Namibia by the Germans mm-hmm. uh, of the Herero and the Nama. Uh, and then, of course, you have Enoch uh, Mgijima uh, and, and, uh, and the Israelites in 1924. And then there are all manner of smaller massacres that I don't have time to refer to, uh, all across up to the 50s. And, of course, the most famous becomes Sharpville. Yes. And after Sharpville, we have Boipatong, we have um, Bisho, we have uh, Marikana. We, 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 we could plot our history in terms of massacres. Mm-hmm. Of course, Prof, you meant 1921. Um, let's yes, talk sorry, about what, what led him to move in that area. Because as you said, uh, we, we can also talk about the narrative and who, whose narrative we were referring to when the police said that they looked like they were getting ready for war. Something else was going on there. You know, that's a narrative that suited them. Um, I don't necessarily think that they believe that. I think it's a narrative that worked for for the PR of the day. What led him to occupy that specific piece of land? Well, the same reason that Lekhanyane occupied Tabahona uh, uh, in Pulukwane uh, and made it his uh, Jerusalem, his sacred uh, uh, land for him and his people. Uh, the same reason that um, many of the prophets would, would find a spot which they would want to preserve uh, for ritual activities for, and to declare it uh, sacred. And I could, I could give many, many examples mm-hmm. of such sacred places mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that are chosen. But you've got to understand this in the context of a... And a time when land was a commodity that was being taken away mm-hmm. from black people. So when people have no land, how and where do they worship? Um, how and where do they connect mm-hmm. uh, with, uh, with their ancestors? Mm-hmm. How and where do they make a living? Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, it was, he needed that land for all of the above reasons that I've just said. Uh, now and of course he had been using land adjacent to that for a long time but in collaboration with the moravian missionaries who uh, who had their own place there but as his followers uh, and the numbers grew uh, he needed more and more space and 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 i want us to maybe focus on on the the fateful day because there were intimidations coming along over time were they not Yes, there was a lot of toing and froing uh, between um, Gijima, his brother, and uh, the leaders of his church, his brother Charles, I think, um, and uh, Truta and those who represented him and, and who re- represented the union uh, government, uh, basically trying to negotiate, uh, uh, feebly negotiate with them to try and get them to move away uh, from the land. And of course, Gijima and his followers were quite adamant that they were not going to move because 
they were going to move away to go where in the context of the 1913 land act mm. it was part of the squeeze really they knew exactly what was happening so there was a lot of toing and throwing they uh, sent uh, emissaries but none of the emissaries were going there to say to Mkijima, uh maybe uh, you know stay here but follow these and that rules or this is the process in terms of which these lands can belong to you. None of them. All of them were going there to say, get away, mm-hmm. move away from this land. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but there was, uh, there was chewing and throwing. But Gijima could see through it. Mm-hmm. He could see that this was not real negotiation in good faith. It was just a, 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 a nicer way of saying, get lost. Prof, we've got a voice note coming through. Let's take a listen. Happy Melo, good afternoon. I wanted to ask the Prof to please explain a little bit further because his explanation that I heard that the profits arise because of a situation, I kind of agree with that. But um, is there anything to do with the Creator or Heavenly Father or God in calling a prophet um, because he loves us and because that is how he communicates with us, his children? Uh, and not just because something is happening and somebody appoints themselves as a prophet, or could that be a different label to somebody who appoints himself because something is going in the society that needs to then bring about the exposing of it, and we label that person a prophet, because I would like to say that there is then two different kinds of prophets in my mind, or that I perceive in the writings that, that I believe to be true from God, uh, such as the Bible. Please, would you give some information? Thank you for your program. And my name is Tina from Durban. Interesting question from Tima, Tina. Uh, Professor, so the question is, you know, how do you then, uh, I suppose, accept or um, welcome the announcement of a prophet in this case? Uh, this would be, I mean, I don't know whether she's specifically speaking about Mkijima, but she's saying, you know, what would then be the circumstances that would allow us to accept somebody as a prophet? No, I, yeah, I hear that, but I think she's saying something more. She is saying that um, shouldn't a prophet arise also, if not only, because God appoints them, rather than because of local circumstances, whatever the circumstances are, so that a person becomes a prophet because God has has a message for us and they, they have chosen uh, that person to be the prophet. That's what she's asking. And, and therefore asking whether Gijima and others were such prophets or they were, they were self-proclaimed uh, prophets, as it were. Um, Look, I mean, it's it's not for me or you or anyone to determine uh, for sure whether a person who has been called by God has really been called by God. Is legitimate or not, yeah? Yeah, we, we can't do that. We don't have a, a, a ways of, of, of qualifying. I mean, if you write an exam uh, for sociology one, I can determine whether you pass or fail as a lecturer, but I will not be able to determine whether you have been called by God or not. So it's a difficult uh, proposition to make, but this is what I want to say. Gijima was a tried and tested 
uh, a religious leader. He had been an evangelist uh, within the context of the Methodist Church. He had uh, he had been leading his people since before 1910, I think 1909 probably. And uh, by the time uh, the Bullhook massacre happens, he has been at it uh, for for a decade uh, uh, more and more. So if he needed to be tried and tested as to the veracity of his prophecies, I think that the, his followers were convinced uh, beyond any doubt that he, he was uh, a prophet of God and that he was there um, to communicate what was good uh, coming from God. Now, talking about this, uh, this idea of false prophets can also be exaggerated. So Mgijima is, 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 you know, the authorities of the day say Mgijima is a madman. They say Nonteta Mkwekwe is mad and she must go to mental hospital. Um, but who is more mad between the police general who commands people to, uh, who commands his uh, police to shoot people at Ntabelanga and Kijima. Who is the more mad between them? Who is, who's, who's more likely to be representing God there? Who is more mad between a government that uh, passes a law such as the 1913 Land Act and non who ends up uh, dying at the uh, Vescopis? Who is more mad? So I think we must be careful not to overanalyze the victims of injustice to the point of, uh, of, uh, of reading them outside the grace of God while, you know, implicitly accepting your Jans Matis and your, 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 your Colonel uh, Trutas, uh, your Louis Buotas as uh, representatives of God. Has it taken us too long? Uh, I'm hearing that um, we are now going to be declaring that particular area in Komati a national heritage site. you think it's taken us too long? I think we've been rather too slow. Uh, I mean, and, and it's quite disappointing for a black government uh, such as the one that we have not to recognize um, the, the depth uh, the complexity, the nuanced manner in which people like Enokum Gijima, people like uh, Nehemiah Tile, people like Engenas uh, Mikhanyani, if you come to the, to the northern Limpopo, um, and, and many others uh, who I can't uh, remember now because I'm talking of, uh, of the calf. Mm-hmm. All these people have, have provided leadership at a time when people needed that kind of leadership. And it was not leadership that you could put in a box. You can't put Enoch Gijima into a small box and say he was only a prophet. He was only a spiritual leader. He was a com- complete and comprehensive leader seeking to intervene uh, in, 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 in food production, in, uh, in farming, in land ownership, in spiritual development. Why has it taken us so long to recognize the leadership of the likes of Inokum Dijima? I don't know. We're taking your calls, 011-714-2006. We can also take your WhatsApp notes on 0614-104-107 as we commemorate 100 years of the Bullhook Massacre. The Basketball. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. 
Hi, Pomelo and uh, your guest. Uh, Pomelo, um, it's good that we discuss these things now on radio because now the challenge that we have right now in our society is uh, every time we discuss these things, even on social media, we get banned. Like uh, for me, I'm like on strike three right now when you discuss these atrocities that were committed and the land being taken away from the uh, appropriate owners of those land. You see, so the question to the professor is, what Zimbabwe did, was it good or bad in light of what you are discussing today? Professor Deniko Maluleka is my guest. Um, he is a political analyst. He's also an African theologist from the University of Pretoria. Prof, let's just maybe respond to that voice note before we take more questions. Yeah, I I don't know that you want to jump uh, from uh, 1921 to Zimbabwe. 1990. I, or, I, I, that's not my plan, but if the question comes in and they yeah. are going to say no, to no, me, no. I didn't ask I, I, I'm trying to answer the question. Yes. I'm trying to, yes. to allow me to, 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 to have an approach before I learn. Sure. Eh? Because so, you can't just learn without so, so should we do this? Should we do this? Should we take another call while you ponder on that and then you'll come back to that mm-hmm. answer? That's fine. Okay. That's fine. V- Voyo, you're calling from Eastern, East London? Hi. Hello. Hi, will you go ahead? Yeah. You know, I've listened to Prof mentioning the various massacres, starting with Sir George Gray and so on. My concern about some of these programs, they seem to portray whites as the only people who cause massacres. I thought at least we should tell the whole truth about it. For instance, nobody talks about the massacre in Fekane caused by Shaka. For this, in the Transkai, you've got a group called Amapaja. Those people escaped from Shaka, and they came to the Eastern Cape. There were wars around them and so on. In fact, there was a lot of bloodshed. Nobody talks about it. In the, East, in the Transkai area, again, Amapaja, the group called the Fingers, were massacred by Amakosa. And the Amapaja were helped by the white people to survive that. Nobody talks about that. And that is my concern. We should not just create the impression that it's only whites who are evil and cause massacres. Blacks, Africans have caused the same thing. So let's try to be neutral about the thing and stop bothering what would just like for this we've got the issue of the Jews who were massacred by Hitler, the concentration camps. Nobody talks about the fact that the English were the first to have concentration camps during the Anglo Boer War. They killed women, children and so on. But nothing is said about that. Only the Jews massacre is more sorry, is more important. So let's try, please, to be neutral and mention all the evil groups, not only a, spe- a special and specific group. Thank you very much. Prof. Yeah. Um, well, I did. I did mention Marikana. I didn't. I did mention Bisho. Uh, there are a lot more massacres. Um, and massacres are not necessarily um, a, a black versus white thing. But when we're talking about colonialism and the systemic, the systemic dispossession of uh, black people by colonial authorities and the systemic um, uh, disempowerment of, of, of black people politically, 
uh, culturally and religiously, which I thought is what we're talking about yes. mainly today. Yes. Uh, then, then we have to be honest with that. We can't, you, you know, just because there is another truth next to this truth does not mean we mustn't talk about this truth. <laughs> we must allow different truths to coexist, but be focused in the sense that today we are. The main focus is on the Bullhook Massacre. Mm -hmm. And we have to understand the logic. Mm -hmm. Uh, If if there is any logic in massacring any people, Mm -hmm. uh, the logic behind the Bullhook Massacre, that's what uh, I've been trying to do, to explain. Um, Prof, do you want to go back to that voice note that asked you about Zimbabwe? Well, I mean, the land, the question of land is, of course... um, an important one, and I think that's what the the, the listener is saying. Uh, it's saying that look, uh, land was at the center of the uh, Gijima resistance uh, movement, and um, Zimbabwe, um, you know, had a particular solution to the land uh, question. Uh, are we doing enough in South Africa to address our land uh, question? I'm not convinced that we are doing enough. Um, but I think we would need to have a different program to talk about the current attempt uh, in, in, in Parliament and everywhere to, um, to, to, to amend the Constitution. Uh, I haven't had them speak about it for a long, long time, mm-hmm. uh, whether this is the right way to go and whether we are doing enough to speed up the process, because land reform uh, has moved at a very uh, a slow pace uh, in, in this country. Professor Malulega, thank you so much for your time. And I promise you next time we'll make sure we all stick to the agenda and not derail you somewhat. But thank you for being so agile. Thank you. No, I really, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Professor Tinyuka Malulega, who's a, a political analyst as well as an African theologies professor at the University of Pretoria, as we commemorate 100 years of the Bullhook Massacre.